Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. And Christmas Eve was this time where we just kind of got together as a family. Nothing special happened. We didn't open any presents. We just hung out. But we ate deli sandwiches, like a really weird, specific tradition. But that was just every Christmas Eve. That's what it was. It was a deli tray and some buns, and you know everybody came over, and that's what we had. And so I would, I would think about that. I would think about the Christmas music. I love decorating the Christmas tree and seeing all the decorations and driving around. There was this, over in, in uh, I grew up in Spartanburg, and so there's a little mill village on one side of Spartanburg called Una. You may or may not have been through the Una. And if you ever were back in the 80s, at Christmas time, there was this one house that was specifically uh, decorated. I mean, it was it was unreal how decorated this house was. And you could get out and, like, walk around. And it was like the one place that you'd be driving in a car all night looking at Christmas decorations. was one place you could get out and walk through. And it was really kind of neat. Um, well, you could, like in a city thing, I know you could do that, some of those city stuff and get out. And if you go over to the speedway, they have animals you can pet and Stuff like that, but this was uh, just a random house in Una that was in the Mill Village, and it wasn't a very big house, but they just let people traipse through the whole thing. It was great. And I loved that. And so I think about that, and then I would think about um, Christmas music. Now, I have grown to have a, just as just my personal preference, I'm just telling you guys this, I used to love Christmas music, and I've grown to not love it. I loved it for all the reasons because I only heard it three weeks a year. It was like it was great. And now you hear it for five months of the year, okay? So um, if you're one of those people, God bless you. Uh, I'm not mad at you at all. I'm just telling you this is my, I just never enjoyed, like I enjoyed it for that reason. It's like, man, you never get to hear it. So back in the 80s and 90s, you would start hearing some Christmas songs right after Thanksgiving, now, when I grew up, we always listened to the Christian radio station. And on that Christian radio station, throughout the rotation, starting at Thanksgiving, they would sprinkle in some Christmas songs. They'd be like, oh, cool, there's Christmas songs. But generally, there was a time, and it was like two or three weeks away from Christmas, they would ramp it up to where it was all, all day, every day. And I thought that was great, you know, because you'd only hear it for those two weeks. Um and so I, would, I think about that, all the magical stuff. And then, um, you know, all the stuff that had to do with Sunday and with Christmas morning. It was fantastic. My parents made it such for us kids that it was really this kind of magical time, if you know what I mean. So it was this really kind of fun time. And it was a magical time. And you may have experienced that and you may still experience it. Hopefully, we still have that bit of wonder in us. But one of the things that I hope that we do, because I think what can typically happen during this time is that we say, okay, it's Advent, so we know what the next four Sundays are going to be. We just kind of check our brains out and say, okay, this is going to be. But I want us to really engage with the story. And this morning we're going to read a specific part of the story. But do we stop and ask ourselves Why? What is it about this season that makes it so magical? And we're going to talk about that a bit this morning. So 
Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 1. Matthew 1. And if you don't, we'll have the word up on the screen. But Matthew 1. So if you start in Matthew, it starts out saying, here's the genealogy of Jesus. And it goes through genealogy. And you can trace it from Adam all the way up to Jesus. And there's three sets of 14 names. And then once that happens, then we pick up with these words here. In verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We enter into this really magical time of the year, and we celebrate this idea because of God's presence with us, that God came to us. He came near. He came near to all that we can celebrate and all that we can mourn. God came near to that. He came near so that he could be for us this righteousness, right? As Paul said, that God came to become the righteousness for all of us. And that's what Jesus did. He took on all that we did. And you faced all of our temptations and lived a sinless life. And eventually died so that when God the Father looked at us, we could be seen as righteous. And so that's what we celebrate this time of year. That's one of the reasons it's so magical is because God came near to us to do for us what there was no way that we could do for ourselves. And he even tells us, as he's reading through the scripture, you know, here this guy, Jesus, is about to be born, and the angel actually comes to Joseph in a dream and says, Here's what here's what's going on. Now, in the in the in this time in history, for this specific people, uh, you may have if you remember if you have, or if you remember from the old King James uh, translations, they were betrothed, right? Like they weren't quite yet together, but they weren't apart. They were actually, this process of being kind of pledged to one another was a legal process. In fact, if you read it, it says that they were pledged to be married, but that he was going to get a divorce, which doesn't make tons of sense in our language, because divorce would be like once the marriage has happened. But for them, that that betrothal process was this process, and it usually lasted could could last up to twelve months, where 
And they're pledged to be married. And all, for all intents and purposes, they kind of are. But there's no consummation of the, of the marriage yet. It hasn't quite yet officially been done. But if it is separated, if it is changed, and read about those certificates of divorce and find out how and why and all the reasons why. And so what's going on through Joseph's mind? Joseph being a righteous and good man. What could be going on in Joseph's mind? We're going to... What I want you to do is try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes this morning. But we come to celebrate the Advent, which, as Willie told us this morning, it means arrival. That the king has come. And if you follow any type of tradition of a kingdom, the kingdom was wherever the king was. And because God, the king, came near, and his kingdom was here. The implication for us was that once we submitted our life to the king, all that you've always longed for or wanted to be could come to bear through God living his kingdom out in your life. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's what we have to share with people. Is that all they could ever hope and imagine can come to bear through God living his life out in them and through them. The gospel for Matthew, for Matthew's version of the gospel is not just saying that you agree with Jesus or saying that you believe what he says is true. Not just saying those things, but in doing it. In fact, Jesus in the gospel of Matthew said this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Jesus made it very clear that us loving him had to do with our obedience of him. In this book that we're reading, the Advent story from this morning, the book of Matthew, through the entire time, from beginning to end, is the story of a king and his kingdom leading people to follow the king and living into a life that looks like righteousness from the whole thing, from beginning to end. All the, uh, Most of the par- parables that, that Jesus even uh, speaks that Matthew records for us generally have some sort of king or some sort of ruler that's over some things. And that eventually righteousness occurring because the goodness of the king. Think about one of those parables is the prodigal son. I was about to say the son ran away. I couldn't think of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, the, the redeeming part at the end had everything to do with the father who ruled this little bit of land, right? He wasn't a king, but. And it had nothing really to do with the sons. And then the book ends, Matthew ends with what? Kind of the ultimate call to obedience. Matthew 28 20. You want to flip back there? You can. I just want to read it verbatim because sometimes I think I'd, we can quote things and when we remember them, it not be completely accurate. But he, but it ends. The Great Commission kind of ends with Jesus saying this about you know, baptize. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And I'm going to be with you always. Surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The book ends with a call to obey. But it starts with a story of a man who did obey. Joseph. He's in this pledge to be married to Mary. Try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You pledge to be married to this woman. Next thing, Joseph knows what? She's pregnant. That doesn't happen magically, okay? Most of the time, right? The Spirit of God, we know the end of that story, but if, you're, if we're thinking about through Joseph's brain, here he is, he's pledged to be married to this woman. It's, it's so legal that he has to issue a certificate of divorce if he's going to end this thing. He knows that he has not yet been with her, and yet here she is pregnant. But it talks about Joseph being this kind of righteous man. He wanted to do the right thing. A lot of people, and you hear about all these kind of people holding grudges and trying to ruin people's lives in different ways through whatever. I mean, if that had happened today, I mean, Joseph may have said, well, I'm just going to blast her on social media. I'm going to tell all my friends, right? This first person who says the story is the one that everybody believes, right? So I'm going to say it first and loudest. Let everybody know that I didn't do anything wrong. This woman got pregnant and it wasn't by me and it's not my fault. And I'm going to, and he could have, and nobody would have blamed him for that. I don't think any of, us, any of us in this room, without knowing the end of the story, would blame Joseph for having those thoughts. But it said Joseph was this honorable guy, this righteous guy, and he wanted to do things a little differently. But he, he didn't want to stay with her. Obviously, she's unfaithful in Joseph's eyes. And so he just thinks, well, I'm just going to do this quietly, under the radar, so I don't ruin her name. But us but I'm not going to have my name ruined either, right? So Joseph's figured out this way to make this kind of thing happen. He protects Mary, even in what he perceives to be her unfaithfulness, which is a picture of the gospel, right? Of God protecting us even when we are constantly unfaithful to him. The picture of the gospel is a bridegroom coming to take his bride who has been unfaithful. The church has been unfaithful to Jesus. And yet Jesus still looks at us as his perfect bride and takes us in. But then, but then what happens? He has a dream. He hears the word from the angel that says, hey, I know this is on your mind. I know this is on your heart. But here's what happened. Mary is actually supernaturally pregnant. It's not magical. It's the Spirit of God that has created this. And so he gives them these instructions. And Joseph obeys. And it's easy to say this, and I've thought this a million times. You guys may be in the same boat. Hey, if the angel speaks to me, I'm doing whatever the angel tells me to do, right? That doesn't always happen that way. There were a lot of questions. We're going to see this actually in the story uh, of the prophecy that was quoted. But Joseph did obey. It says that he woke up and he, he did exactly what they said. And the baby was born, and even down to the name. He did exactly what the angel told him to do. 
We're going to call this baby Jesus. And one of those... It means the Lord saves. The Greek uh, there in, in verse 21 where it says you'll call him Jesus, that's the Greek version of Joshua, the Hebrew name, which means the Lord saves. You're going to name him that. Wow, well, we know the end of that story, right? Because he saves all mankind. But think of, think of this. When we think of the grand narrative of, of the book of Matthew, And that God's kingdom being a kingdom that requires obedience. Not just words to say, hey, I believe this, but actually a life that says I believe it. Joseph's obedience to what the angel of God, what God spoke to him through the angel, led directly to his experiencing the direct presence of God. Had he done that, he would have never experienced baby Jesus, right? which was God in human form. Joseph's obedience to God directly led to him experiencing the presence of God. Now, that's not to say that this is a transactional thing and if you have to do one thing to get something else from God, but I think there is some truth. Is that those folks that you can think of, and I can tell you the names of people in my life who, who would fit in this category, who are just these really godly people who seem to experience the rule and reign of God, moving in their life on a daily basis. They're people who, if you look back, have been most obedient to God in my life. I mean, I'm just talking about me. You, you can ha- you, you have a list of people in your name, in, 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 in your head, I'm sure. Um, and I think that has something to do with God just kind of, God's a gentleman. If you don't want his, him, he, you know, not going to force himself on you. It is, there is, we do have that bit of free will that allows us to say, yes, God, we do want your presence, or, you know what, I'm good. Um, so, that's a different message for a different day. But there is something to that story, where Joseph's obedience led directly to him experiencing the presence of God. But if we read down to verse 22, it says, all this happens so that the prophecy could be fulfilled. The virgin will conceive, will, conceive, uh, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I'm pretty sure Pete, uh, Joseph wakes up with that. Yep. And then after that, Joseph was up. So they, they use this little phrase that all this happens so that the words of the prophet could be fulfilled. And if you kind of look at the notes in your Bible, it'll tell you, hey, this, is, this prophecy actually happened in Isaiah 7. So what I'd like us to do is go back to Isaiah 7. We're going to see how this ties into Matthew 1. It's almost dead in the middle of your Bible. If you have mine, it's on page 645. And we're going to read verses 4 through 14 of Isaiah 7. Verse 4 through 14 says this. Say to him, now this is God speaking to Isaiah the prophet, to say to King Ahaz, okay? Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of those Two smoldering stubs. Now, what are the two smoldering stubs Jesus is talking about? Well, King Ahaz has just learned um, that King Rezin of Aram 
and Pekah of Israel. So at this point, Israel has been, I mean, the, 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 the United countries divide up into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And, he, and so, he, so Ahaz is the ruler of Judah. And he just learned that the king of Israel and the king of Aram are going to rise up and come. And he's scared. He's fearful. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose, not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia, I don't know how to say these names, people. I'm just going to be honest. Their sons have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart. Let us divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. And yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. So God is saying to Ahaz, this is what people are saying. But here's what God is saying. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask, your, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said this, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to a test. Now, it sounds very admirable thing to say. I don't want to test you. But God said, put me to the test. Ask me for a sign. But then Isaiah responding, God responding through Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So he says, ask for a sign. Ahaz says, no, I don't want to test you, God. <coughs> and God saying, don't make me mad. I'm going to give you this sign. Here is the sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And he goes on to talk through that a little bit. We're going to stop right there. That's where we get that little. So King Ahaz is afraid. He's afraid for his life. And the prophet comes to him and says, here's what's going to happen. And here's the sign. Ahaz may not have known every implication of that. He did hear from the, the word of the Lord saying, don't worry, because Ephraim is going to be nothing, right? You're going to continue on. Don't worry about these two smoldering stumps of firewood. Ahaz is scared, and God's saying, don't worry. But here's the implication that we can draw from that, that on this side of history, Ahaz may not have known every implication of that, but what God was saying is you're going to be, you're not going to be destroyed. Israel's not going to be destroyed. Listen to my words. Trust in me. And this was the word that came to Ahaz. Now, if we flip back over to Matthew, here's the really fun part of the story. The first part of Matthew just has a bunch of names, most of which, if you just saw my attempts at pronunciation of some of these names, I would butcher it. We're not going to go through that. But if you look, 
in the second set of, of names. In fact, I did write down the verse, uh, in verse 9, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. That was just one person in the lineage that got all the way to Joseph. That God was saying to Ahaz, here's going to be a sign. This kingdom's not going away. You're not going away. In fact, it's going to go for a while. And we can see that implication. That Ahaz was scared. And here's what Joseph knew, right? If you came from some sort of royal ancestry, they knew what line they came from, right? How do we know that? Well, we know that David went, I mean, that Joseph went to the city of David when it came time for the census. He knew where he came from. They knew their line. Joseph would have known that his great, 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 whatever, granddad, was afraid, was fearful. And Joseph's in the midst of this same thing. That Joseph is afraid and he's fearful. But the king was about to make his presence known. In the same prophecy, the angel speaks to his great, 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 whatever, grandson. He said, don't be afraid. There's one coming who is going to be called Emmanuel. It's going to be God with us. That God is going to be with you, Joseph, during this time. The great part of the story is it's not just a word to Joseph, it's a word to each of us because this kingdom has come near to us. It's why this time of year is so magical. It's why this time of year is so mysterious and so exciting. Because God has come near to us. That God has come to make his presence known to us to calm our fears. To lead us out of anxiety into a life of freedom. Of trusting that God is good through all things. It is the goodness of the gospel that needs to be proclaimed is that the king actually wants to come near to you to live his life through you so that you could become the righteousness of God. And so this morning, as we come to the table, I just want you to ask yourself two, two questions. And one is, in your brain, like right now, you can think of people in your life that you know Or you know who they are. You know of them. Who needs the presence of God? Who do you know that needs to experience the presence of God? And the second question I want you to ask. Because God the King draws near. He wants to live His kingdom, His life through us. Who can we be present with? The great thing about this time of year is it allows us to be present. Even as a kid, liking and enjoying all the toys, one of the things I enjoyed the most was just sitting and spending time with my family. Now, it helped that there were toys, I'm sure, for a little kid. Uh, it helped that there was no school. But just that presence, who can you be present with? Just like God gave us his presence and came near to us, who can you be present, present with and allow God to reveal the, his kingdom to them through you? 
So there's two questions that I just want you to ask. Who do you know that needs the presence of God? And who do you know that you can be present with during this Advent season to allow God to reveal his kingdom to them through you in the way that God develops and works at friendship? Because God changed us completely. The Gospel of Matthew is full of people whose lives were just completely changed because of walking with God. We can look at the disciples. We can look at disciples who wanted to turn away and run, right? But yet we follow this book out through the letters of, of uh, Paul and of John and of James. And we can see like their lives were completely changed. They were no longer afraid. They didn't live in anxious fear. Peter wasn't willing to pull the sword anymore. He understood the power of God. He understood that the same Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lived in him. And he believed it. And that's what we, we gain from that. And who can we be present with to, to allow God to work through one, if not more than one? And so this morning, as you come to the table, be praying. Even if you can't think of that person, pray that God will reveal who that may be. As we come to celebrate the fact that God came near to us, we come to the table knowing that nearness to us actually is what led to the death of Jesus. And it was the death of Jesus that led to the victorious Easter Sunday morning celebration of God actually defeating death. And so all of that is wrapped up in this Advent story. So this morning, let us come with that on our hearts and minds. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that you've given us opportunity to uh, be a part of your kingdom. God, we're thankful that you came near to us that you loved us so much that you did not delegate that, that responsibility to someone else. <clears throat> that you didn't just change things from afar, but you actually came and got your hands dirty, experienced pain, experienced all the things that, that we wouldn't want the king who died for us to experience, but you did, and you did so willingly. God, thank you that you calm fears with your presence. God, would you remind us of that daily? And God, would you work through us to reveal your kingdom to those who don't yet know you? In your name we pray, God. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.